Greetings and welcome to The Second Question, a podcast for educators and those who love education. I'm your host, Martin Silverman, a public school educator from beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Now, let's answer the second question. Welcome listeners to episode 22, also season two, episode two of The Second Question. Lots of twos in there. I'm so happy today to be able to share with you a wonderful interview I did recently with a new friend uh, from this past year, a, an, a remarkable educator, a truly quality guy, smart, uh, innovative, a thinker, a doer, all of those good things, and that is Alex Valensic from beautiful Freeport, Illinois, and Alex is somebody that you definitely want to know. Alex is somebody who will help you when you need help. He will accept advice. He will look for the smart group think that often happens when people are allowed to share ideas. And I was just so thrilled to be able to get Alex as a guest on the second question. So without further ado, here's my interview with the amazing Alex Valencic. Hello guests and welcome back to the second question. I'm so glad to be able to share one of my friends with you. And you know, we always talk about bad things that happened during the pandemic and you know, certainly I don't want to uh, diminish any of what happened during the pandemic. However, one of the good things that came out of the pandemic is that we got to connect with educators from all over the place on uh, social media and, you know, by Zoom and et cetera. And one of the people that I was fortunate to get to meet was our guest today. And that is Alex Valensic, who is with me today from Freeport, Illinois. Alex is a husband, an educator, an Eagle Scout. And I'm going to call him a PD guru. He's going to probably be uh, too uh, humble to accept that title. But, you know, guru doesn't come to everybody, Alex. So I want you to please enjoy that. And Alex, welcome to the second question. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited that you were uh, wanting to be on the show. So Alex, I want to begin by, because not everybody knows you, and I do want to say this, for those of you who do know Alex, uh, we are uh, audio only, but I can tell you a secret about Alex right now. He is not even wearing a tie. If you can imagine such a thing, for those of you who know him, uh, you may not have ever seen any bit of his undershirt, but I can actually see part of his undershirt under his polo. So Alex, um, I've set you up now. Um, people know that there is a, a casual side of you. And, uh, I just wanted to ask my first question of you, which is this, uh, you know, we talk about how we got into the field of education, but, and, and, and I'm a firm believer that, uh, we don't always pick education. It picks us. And so Alex, how did education as a career find you? So it's funny because 
know, when you say that education picks us, I think that's exactly what happened for me. Uh, If you ask my mother, she'll tell you that when I was little, I aspired to be an architect. I have absolutely no memory whatsoever of that ever being part of my aspirations that I actually don't recall anything about what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was in fourth grade. I had a phenomenal teacher and a great experience in fourth grade. And part of that experience was a lot of peer teaching that we did in the classroom. And my classmates would always tell me what a great teacher I was. I was always the one that people wanted to go to and say, hey, we want you to work in our group. We want you to look over my work. Give me some feedback on this paper I wrote. And by the end of the year, I knew that one day I was going to be a fourth grade teacher. And it is something that I stuck with moving forward uh, all through the rest of elementary, middle school, high school. My aspiration was to go into public education to teach fourth grade. For a long time, my dream was that I would teach fourth grade and I would be that crazy old guy teaching way longer than he should have until I would just literally just keel over and die in the middle of a classroom and teach until I died. And and it's like, okay, that might be a little morbid morbid and would probably traumatize students. So maybe not teaching that long, (laughs) but I eventually shifted also to wanting to go to school leadership. But even when I was 13 years old, I always... I always tell people I started teaching when I was 13 because my Sunday school class, we had a teacher who didn't show up for the first six months of the year. And I would go across the hall to the library we had in our church building and they had the lesson manuals for our Sunday school class. So I just grab our lesson manual and taught my class every week for six months. And then eventually someone in charge of the Sunday school program wandered by and was like, why are there a bunch of 13 year olds in a room with no adult? And like, where's your teacher? And everyone in the room pointed at me and said, Alex is our teacher. And they're like, no, he's not. He's a member of the class. And I just shrugged and said, I've been teaching for six months. So I think I'm the teacher. The next week they got as a proper Sunday school teacher. But I just never turned away, never looked away from education because it definitely picked me. I love that story. And, uh, you know, you took the bull by the horns, didn't you, when you were in that Sunday school class? You knew what your calling was and you... And you went for it. So, Alex, you work right now in Freeport, Illinois. And is that where you've had uh, all of your career or most of your career? Um, No, actually, most of my career was working down in central Illinois. I worked in the Urbana School District. That's where I got my first full-time teaching job, which was teaching fourth grade, was I did that for seven years. Prior to getting that full-time job, I worked as a substitute teacher for three years and I loved that experience. Subbing was phenomenal, getting to go into different classrooms every day, different groups of students. I, I'd often said that if a district would offer that as a full-time salaried and benefits type job of being a substitute, I would have jumped all over that opportunity. But I wanted to get that full-time spot. And eventually I got hired to teach fourth grade in Urbana. Said I did that for seven years. And Along the way, got my credentials for school administration, started looking for leadership jobs, and I'm now entering in Freeport. This is my fourth year of working in the Freeport School District in their curriculum and instruction department. But most of my experience was Central Illinois. I grew up in Central Illinois, lived my whole life there except for about two and a half years. Honestly, had no idea where Freeport was when I even applied for the job. They offered me the job, and I was like, oh. I should probably figure out where this is and figure out where it is I'm moving to because 
I know it's far away enough from where I live that I need to move, but I don't know where it actually is. It's, the job interview was done over Skype, so I didn't even have to go there before they hired me. I love that. You you took an adventure. You know, that reminds me of me. So I took, you know, I grew up in New York in Brooklyn and I went to college in upstate New York. And my first teaching job was in Houston, Texas. And the interview was done up at a college in upstate New York. And my contract came in the mail. So the first day I saw Houston was the day that I moved there. So I kind of can relate. Uh, so I, I went a little bit farther than maybe you did, but um, I can kind of relate to the, to the adventure of that. So now that you are in Freeport, tell me what's the best thing about living in Freeport? Ooh, the best thing of living in Freeport, honestly, I love the school district that I'm in, the opportunities I have to really be right there in the thick of things, helping to lead change. Uh, the job that I was hired to originally was as the curriculum coordinator for 21st century teaching and learning was a really long job title that nobody really knew what it actually was because I was the third person in three years to have that job. Uh, one person, he did it for a year, then moved on to an admin job somewhere else. Second person did it for a year, then moved on, got an admin job with the state. I came in and honestly, it was, it was a bit of a shock when I first came in and found out nobody really knew what the job was. And a lot of teachers in the district were very hesitant to really trust me in anything I did because one of them told me very bluntly, he's like, look, you seem like a nice guy, but we all know you're going to leave by the end of the year because lots of people doing this job. Do it for a year and then move on to a better job. And it's like, well, my wife and I just bought a house in the middle of Freeport, so we're not moving anytime soon. We've got house payments to make. And I think because I really opened doors for me to go into classrooms to see lots of different teachers and be able to help move things forward in this district. It's it's got a lot of room to grow. Nobody's nobody's shy about pointing that out, but there's a great group of teachers who are really passionate about education and desperate to know what we can do to improve the quality of teaching and learning for our students and I, I just love it and love being part of the pretzel family. We are the Freeport pretzels and we, we wear that proudly. Pretzel pride is all about what we do. You know, you joked at the beginning how I'm not wearing my typical shirt and tie, but I am wearing my pretzel polo. And, you know, we, we often say here in Freeport, once a pretzel, always a pretzel. And I think it's absolutely true. You know, I think everybody says that. I think, you know, that's a pretty common phrase, right? Once a pretzel, always a pretzel. I, I, I don't know if that's only Freeport. That may be everywhere. Hey, so your current position, though, changed this year, or your direction changed a little bit this year. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. One of my goals for that initial job I was hired for is I told people all the time that my goal was to make it unnecessary to have a coordinator for 21st century teaching and learning because I wanted everybody to be doing that without having someone kind of dedicated to leading that work. And at the end of last year, my executive director of curriculum and instruction, she met with me and said, no, I want to change the job titles and I want to move your role from this, this kind of really big, uncertain 21st century teaching and learning and shift the role to focusing on professional learning. So I took on the role of the professional learning coordinator and I lead all of the PD 
well, I don't lead all the PD in the district. I coordinate and plan, help plan all that PD, working with an amazing team in our CNI department. You know, you said at the beginning that I'm a PD guru, but for me, it's it's all about leaning strongly on that team that we have. And a big part of what I do is administrators will reach out to me and say, you know, we want to have professional learning on this topic. Who do you know who can help do it? And if we don't have anyone within our district, then I'm able to reach out to the network I've been able to build up over the years and find people. And it, it's really interesting because I'll reach out and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know this person who does training on, you know, mastery learning. And I know this person who's an expert in standards-based grading. And, hey, here's a person we can go to for tech integration. And, oh, I know a person who's all about MTSS. It's like, you know, pretty much. If there's something that's needed, I guarantee that I know somebody who does that work or I know somebody who knows somebody and we can help pull them in and plan professional learning for our district that my driving goal is to make sure we move away from that once and done sit and get type of PD and really get job embedded professional learning that connects to what teachers really need to be able to improve their craft. So... You know, Alex, that that is something that is important to me as well. Um, uh, you you probably read recently something I wrote about PD. And my question to you is this. It kind of goes along with that. I want you to tell me about, I don't know if I want to say your PD planning process or the, the PD planning process. What do you... What do you see as the steps to go from the idea to the need to the presentation? Okay. So yeah, there's definitely a lot in that. It starts with finding out what what the idea, what is the idea. And in our district, we have a three-year vision that we cultivated, crafted with our superintendent when she came in. And then use the three-year vision to inform the design of the school improvement plans. We are a large early childhood to 12th grade district. We have five elementary buildings, an intermediate building, a middle school and the high school. And then we have two alternative education program sites as well. So so we went from that three-year vision to all of those buildings doing their school improvement plans. And then the district worked on creating a strategic plan for the district, which was a little bit of a different direction. A lot of districts, it starts with that strategic plan and then filters down. Our superintendent wanted it to go the other direction because she is a very firm believer that central office exists for the purpose of serving the teachers and not the other way around. So we needed to make sure everything was building up from what teachers need. So then we look at those those improvement plans, the strategic vision, the strategic plan and our three-year vision and identify the needs for teachers. We survey them. We survey the administrators. We look at evaluation data, build all those pieces together. And then it becomes the, the most daunting part of it is finding who is the best person to lead that work. Uh, we are work. We want to build up within our district that collective efficacy of teachers feeling confident in leading professional learning with their colleagues. But I know that that is one of the most daunting things you can ask a teacher to do. 
put a teacher in a classroom in front of 50 kids and they're no problem. I mean, it's a huge classroom, but they'll do it because they're like, oh, it's teaching kids. I can do that. No problem. I'm trained in that. Put them in a room with their peers, their colleagues, and it becomes very, it, it can be terrifying for some people because, you know, you've, you have that sense of that judgment of your peers. Are they going to take you seriously or are they just going to, you know, shrug it off? But I love being able to work with peers and colleagues and we want to build that up in our district where teachers are comfortable doing that. But we also look to see who are people who are from the outside who can come in. But we want to make sure that those aren't people who are just coming in a single time and then we never hear from them again. We're really intentionally seeking those who will form partnerships with our district to come back, work with staff more than once, connect with them, continue to share resources so that that PD becomes ongoing over time. And the other thing we do is we've redesigned our professional development offerings, our district institute days to really craft them as mini conferences for our district where We'll have a keynote speaker, but then we'll have a whole host of concurrent sessions that are aligned to specific goals. Last year, in large part because of the pandemic and the shift to doing remote learning, all of our PD was aligned to the topics of curriculum and innovation, of instructional technology, of social emotional learning, mental health, and support services. This year, we're shifting it to align it with the Danielson framework for teaching with the different clusters that have been kind of developed in the past couple of years so that that framework isn't just the evaluation tool that principals use when they're doing formal observations for staff, but the framework is the reflection tool that teachers use when they are looking at their own personal growth. And we want our institute days and our PD to reflect that personal growth. So it, it's a long, definitely it's a long process. It's not like we just, you know, go online, pick the first name of person we find and pay them a bunch of money to show up and right. stand on a stage and yell at everybody mm-hmm. for two and a half hours and then board a flight home. And there's a lot of real intentional practice in there and really designed around getting staff feedback to say, what is it you need? And what do we need to do to make this meaningful for you? And I can tell you, Marty, when we did that, I could tell right away the shift because about two years ago, our winter institute we have in January, we had 50 staff members who used personal days or sick days on a day that was supposed to be a PD day. This last year in January, we had five who were gone and three of them were gone because of unplanned absences that came up that day. So you definitely see staff value this different approach to professional learning and they want to be there. I love that. That's a, and you know, that's a great way to evaluate the, at least, I, I don't know if necessarily the effectiveness, but certainly um, how PD is seen as more important now that you've kind of shifted it that way. I love that. So Alex, um, if you were, you talked about the three-year vision of your school district, but I want you to think in, you know, in the terms of if you were, if you had, Valencic School District, and you were going to tell us your vision, your main vision, not, you know, I'm sure there's going to, there would be many parts of it, but what's the main thing that you would want to happen for the, 
staff, students, and families in Valencic School District? You know, that is surprisingly easy for me to answer because it is my mantra that I've been stating for years, ever since I was teaching fourth grade, which is my goal is for every teacher to help their students learn how they learn so that they can learn without anyone telling them what to learn. That's, that's my vision is that I, I want every student to be at a place where they don't need a teacher to come in and say, this is what we're doing today. It, instead, it's going to be the student can come in and say, this is what I need to learn today because it's going to help me achieve the goals that I have so that I can prepare myself for whatever is coming next. And of course, there's a whole, whole lot that happens in that. It's not like a just a free for all where students do whatever they want, whatever they want. It is really hard teaching with that goal in mind because there's so much growth that has to happen. But that is definitely my overarching vision is help students learn how they learn so they can learn without anyone telling them what to learn. I love that. That's a great quote. That'll look great on a shirt. <laughs> all of that. Um, Alex, one of the things that, that I know about you, I've come to know about you is that, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit ago is how connected you are and how connected you've become. And I don't know if you've always been connected or if you, uh, you know, more in the last year and a half, uh, like a lot of people have become more connected, but tell me what you believe the value of those connections has been for you. Well, I definitely, I think I've. I can't say always, but for a very long time have been one of those people who is really sought out connections with people far beyond my immediate sphere. Going back to, you know, 13 year old Alex getting an account with America Online, you know, way back in the day when you popped that CD in the computer and you waited for the modem to finish buzzing. And I would go into AOL chat rooms and connect with people. I mean, back then it was about like, mad magazine and you know the the teen chat rooms that they had and then we would connect with other people and found connections around the world and just realized that i don't actually know everything i joke about it sometimes and i'll be like oh yeah of course i know everything but the reality is i don't but i know people who know people who know those things and having those connections means i can reach out in a moment and just say, hey, I've got this, you know, there's this question, who can help me out? You know, it's, you mentioned that you and I, we've been connected because the Teach Better team, they have an admin mastermind group. And earlier, well, at the end of last school year, I was applying for a job within my district as a summer school administrator. So I, when we had one of those meetings of this mastermind group, I said, okay, everybody creating a brand new summer school learning program. What do I need to include? What do I need to talk about? And for about 30, 45 minutes, I had, you know, what, a dozen or so educators from around the country, around the world, actually, because there are people from other countries who are in there sharing ideas. And I had pages of notes that I was able to draw from them and write down ideas about what do we include. So when I went into that interview, I had a whole lot of ideas, a whole vision for what we wanted that summer learning program to be and was able to implement it because I was offered that position. So it's just being connected. You know, it's, I've often heard people say that you, the smartest person in the room should be the room itself. Well, for me, the room is a global network of literally thousands of educators. And it's just awesome to be able to reach out to them, whether it's on Twitter, on Facebook, in Voxer groups, 
even just emailing someone, I am always astounded at how willingly other people will share their ideas, their resources to help each other out. You know, I, I think you raise such a great point about that because uh, the, the availability of not just ideas and support, but um, perspectives and um, advice, you know, things like that are so valuable. I find that valuable too. And before, I will say before pandemic, that was all local for me. And so, you know, as part of what I learned during the time that I had time to explore out a little bit, um, that growth is something that I like to tell people, you, you know, that they need to take advantage of if they're all, if they're not already doing that. So uh, I think that's a great perspective. Okay, Alex. So the basis, as you know, of the second question is that in, when I do teacher interviews, the second question that I ask is who's the best teacher you ever had and why are they, why were they the best? And the, you know, the, the purpose for this podcast is to honor those teachers uh, and let them know um, what impact they've had on their students. So Alex, uh, who's the best teacher you ever had and why were they the best? No, it's funny to me because I've listened to every episode of this podcast and every time you've asked people, I've thought it's like, how would I answer that question if Marty let me come on? Is I know that I've been really blessed to have some amazing teachers in my life, whether it was Sunday school teachers at church, like a woman named Sandy Quinn, who incidentally is the one who taught that 13-year-old Sunday school class when they finally said, hey, we need to get a real teacher for you guys. Or my fourth grade teacher, Kathy McNamara, my middle school math teacher, Mike Adams, my high school band director, Jim Tallman, who's still directing high school bands. And I swear the man's been directing high school bands for like probably close to 30 years now and has no sign of slowing down or, you know, I high school English teacher, Jerry Madsen, never had an English teacher like him before or after. But when it comes to this question, the person who's come to mind most often isn't a teacher from that K-12 experience. It's actually one of my college professors from my graduate program in my school administration. Her name was Dr. Linda Kleiser Sloat. She was our program advisor, taught some of like our introductory courses for just that introduction to school leadership shared a lot of amazing advice to me with me and the cohort. But the reason that she comes to mind as one of the best teachers I've had is my cohort. We had a really, I'll say it was a traumatic experience with an instructor who had been hired by the university as a visiting instructor and engaged in what's known as capricious grading. The grading practices were not fair. They were not equitable. We would have group assignments and then there were members of the class that this instructor favored and members of the class that they didn't favor and grades did not line up with the quality of work. We had to file complaints that went up to the Dean of the College of Education and this visiting instructor ended up having their contract revoked midterm. And we found ourselves with a required class and no instructor. And our College of Education and our graduate program, they went to our graduate advisor, Dr. Cloak, or sorry, not Dr. Sloat, Linda Kleiser Sloat. And they said, 
someone needs to teach the class. It's on school improvement. And she said, I've got it. No problem. Stepped in midway through a semester and got us through this entire course that we needed and just stepped up and did it because somebody needed to do it. And she was the one who was leading our group. And that set an example for me of what it means to be a school leader, that sometimes you just have to step in and do something. It may not be your official job title. It may not be something you were planning for. I, mean, I, I can guarantee you she was not expecting to teach that class that semester. Her, We, we knew which classes we were going to have which instructors for the entire two-year program we were doing. She was not on the list for that class, but she stepped up and filled the role and is, and set that great example. And I've always appreciated that. And I reflect on it when I have opportunities within my role in my district, you know, as a leader, I don't have an administrative role, but it's still a leadership role. And I'm the coordinator of professional learning, but I support a lot of teachers in different roles, whether it's our new teachers who, because of our new teacher academy, I help to coordinate that. So I'll be invited to come in and visit classrooms. Uh, because I have my administrator's certificate. There's times that I'm asked if I can fill in if we have a principal who's going to be out for a day and going in and just being able to step in and do what's needed there. You know, it's just, that's, that's to me why Linda Kleiser Slope gets that title of one of the best teachers I've ever had. I love it. And what university was that? It was at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. You know, the Fighting Illini, who yeah. were who were recently beaten in football by the University of Texas at San Antonio. Yeah. That, my, 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 gra my graduate really. alma mater. <laughs> yeah. And I don't get to say that much. So, <laughs> so I do want to put that out there because that uh, for UTSA, um, for a, playing a big school like that, that was a big, huge deal. So I do want to, to put that out there. Yeah. Well, I, I can't say the University of Illinois has the most stellar athletic programs out there. I'm sure I'll probably make some enemies saying that, but no, it's, it's definitely got really strong academic programs. Which Absolutely, is no. There, it's so. definitely known. It's definitely known as a great place to learn. That's for sure, uh, and a beautiful campus too. I've been to uh, uh, Urbana and Champaign, and and um, you know that would have been a, a definitely a cool place to go to college. Well, Alex, I want to really thank you for a few things. Number one, I want to thank you for having been a, a friend and a support to me as. Uh, a colleague, and uh, when you read to my students uh, in the spring, and uh, just in general for being a you know a smart, reasonable voice in uh, the world of education, I appreciate that. I appreciate you having listened to the second question, and uh, above all of it, I appreciate you agreeing to be a guest on the second question. It's been uh, more than a pleasure to have you as a guest. Oh, I've really enjoyed coming on. Like I said, it's, I, I think I reached out to you and it's just like, okay, Marty, come on. What do I do, got to do to get on this show? Because I want to answer the second question. Well, I'm so glad you did. And I hope uh, you get an opportunity to share it with your professor so that uh, she can, if she doesn't just happen upon it, that she gets to know. All right. And I want to thank again, my guest, Alex Valencic from the Pretzel Capital, beautiful Freeport, Illinois, here on The Second Question. And that's it for today's episode of The Second Question. Thanks for joining us. 
If you like this podcast, subscribe and tell your friends. And don't forget to join us for the next episode where we will answer the second question. Thank you.